TED Audio Collective. You're listening to TED Talks Daily. I'm your host, Elise Hugh. Title IX legislation in the U.S. changed the game for women in sports. But in equalizing opportunities for female athletes, health protocols and performance research didn't follow suit. In her 2022 talk at TEDx Boston, sports medicine specialist Kate Ackerman says female athletes deserve more. She makes a case for how after the break. Support comes from Zuckerman Spader. Through nearly five decades of taking on high-stakes legal matters, Zuckerman Spader is recognized nationally as a premier litigation and investigations firm. Their lawyers routinely represent individuals, organizations, and law firms in business disputes, government, and internal investigations, and at trial, when the lawyer you choose matters most. Online at Zuckerman.com. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Capital One Bank. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. TED Talks Daily is brought to you by Progressive. Progressive helps you compare direct auto rates from a variety of companies so you can find a great one, even if it's not with them. Quote today at Progressive.com to find a rate that works with your budget. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. I want you all to imagine a place where female athletes could come and they could get interdisciplinary medical care and they could get the answers to their questions so that they could achieve peak performance throughout their lifespan, where they could get educated about the physical changes that happen during puberty, where they could learn how to use their menstrual cycle to their performance advantage, where they could get sex-specific injury prevention advice, where they could get nutritional advice, mental health support, where they could learn how to train through pregnancy and postpartum, where they could learn how to train through the menopausal transition and beyond. We know that female sports involvement correlates with female success. So isn't it time that we started investing in our female athletes and giving what they need so that they could actually get to their full potential? So I was born in 1972. Yes. That was a banner year, as we know, because that was the year of Title IX. And Title IX was this unbelievable legislation that required that, basically, there were equal sporting opportunities for girls and women in federally funded programs. So it's not really surprising that I would grow up to be an elite athlete, a sports medicine doctor, and a fierce advocate for women, right? Actually, I wasn't that sporty when I was a kid. I was much more into music and theater, big hair, big makeup, jazz hands. In fact, I didn't even pass the president's physical fitness test in sixth grade. (laughs) I was too slow at the 50-yard dash. Poor Mrs. Leonard, she really tried with me. So no one was more surprised than I was when I got to college and I discovered rowing. They just let me walk on, there were no cuts, and I was not good. But I loved it, and I was determined to figure it out. 
And that's where my journey began as a female athlete, where I learned so many of those lessons that we all learn from sport. Teamwork, perseverance, grit. I admit, I was a late bloomer, but I still reaped so many of those benefits that girls get from athletic involvement. I had improved fitness, overall better health, more confidence. We know that studies show that sports participation in girls in high school and women in college correlates with better GPAs and higher graduation rates. I lived that statistic. I got good grades and I found my people. And eventually, I even made the varsity. And so, by the time I graduated, I was hungry for more. I wanted to see what my potential was. So I kept rowing, lots of rowing, lots of studying. And I even made the U.S. national team. I did that while I was at Johns Hopkins Medical School. I don't really recommend that combination. <laughs> But my sixth grade gym teacher was really proud. <laughs> And I kept training. I did want to go to the Olympics, but I wasn't fast enough. There were only two spots for lightweight women in the lightweight double. And so I had to head home in 2000. I went back to medical school and I watched my friends, Roe and Sydney, from patient rooms in the hospital on the TV. But I really needed to shift my focus. I still loved sports, and I had to figure out how I was going to combine my medical career with women's sports. And I had learned a lot from my time at the Olympic Training Center. We really don't know if I ever reached my potential as an athlete, but that experience was so good for me. I experienced a lot, I witnessed a lot. We had a male coach who used to make us do a lot of the same workouts as the men. It didn't matter whether we were lightweights or we were openweights, whether we were in a single or an eight. We did do lactate testing, but we didn't get our blood checked for iron deficiency or other nutritional deficiencies. We had body composition testing, but that was more for our coach to post and show us where we each could lose more fat. A lot of the lightweights lost their menstrual cycle, We just thought that meant we were training hard and we were working really hard and we were nice and lean. Um, you know, a lot of us developed poor body image. And at that time, most of us didn't know what the female athlete triad was, this combination of low energy availability, where you don't eat enough calories for how much you're expending, menstrual dysfunction and poor bone health and stress fractures. We had a doctor that would come in. It was usually a different doctor every couple weeks. Nobody asked us about our periods, and we definitely didn't talk about it. You know, even the open-weight women had issues where they would get urinary incontinence if they tried to do the track workouts, so they were always trying to dodge the track workouts. They'd come up with excuses so they could skip those practices. And we didn't even know what normal medical care should be. In rowing, a lot of us experienced rib stress injuries. So those happen from overtraining, underfueling, or a combination. And so we didn't know if it was appropriate or not when we went to see the doctor about a rib stress injury that was off to the side, and he was doing a breast exam on all of us. He didn't explain what he was doing. We just didn't really feel comfortable with that. He obviously wasn't familiar with rowers. So. I love training with the other women, but I didn't really like the environment, and I thought that female athletes deserved more. So when I headed back to med school, I decided to contact the U.S. Olympic Committee, what's now known as the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And I thought, 
Wow, it would be so great to talk to the women who've been through all of this. Do they have a database of the former female athletes that have been involved in Olympic sports? They said, of course we do. We have contact information for over 700 people, 700 women. I thought, awesome. I would really like to survey them. I'd like to ask them about their menstrual histories, about their fertility, about the different injuries they might have had.、Um, how did they transition out of sport? What kind of exercise were they doing now? What were their long-term health issues? And you know what the USOC said to me? Hell no. <laughs> Why? This is a really good group of people. What a great group to learn from. Uh, because we don't want to know, it'll look bad for women, and what are we going to do about it? So I did what most women do. I felt bad and thought it was my fault. Well, shoot, I didn't become an Olympian, so that's why they don't want to share it with me. Or I'm not done with med school yet. That must be why they're not sharing this information. So then I did the other thing that women often do. I decided to put my head down and just get overeducated and overcompensate. So. I finished med school. I went off and studied biostatistics and epidemiology at the Harvard School of Public Health. I went to Penn and did my internal medicine residency, and then I went back to Harvard and did a sports fellowship and an endocrine fellowship. At this point, my family, my friends, my colleagues thought I was nuts. They were like, "Will you just get on with it? Like, why are you doing all this schooling? What are you afraid of? And if you're really interested in sports medicine, why don't you become an orthopedic surgeon?" Usually, sports is just run by orthopedic surgeons. Well, I liked the OR, and I liked watching surgeons put bones back together and repair and reconstruct joints. But I wanted to do something different with my career. I was more interested in physiology. I really thought that sports medicine should be interdisciplinary, and I cared about endocrine, hormones, and cardiovascular systems. I cared about mental health and nutrition. So then, I was lucky to have a male boss who actually believed in me. He was a he for she, an orthopedic surgeon who understood what I was saying. And in 2013, he gave me the opportunity to launch a female athlete program. That same year, my friends and I thought it would be really cool to throw a female athlete conference. Now we were scrappy, but we just wanted to get. Coaches, athletes, parents, other medical professionals, all together, so that we could talk about what we need to know about female athletes. If people knew better, they could do better. So we wanted to educate people. We wanted to get the network together. We wanted to collaborate. So there were international people coming together, and we were combining resources. And we wanted to inspire other people to do this work. Our first conference was at a small school outside of Boston. They donated the space to us. Our out-of-town speakers stayed at my house. But over time, we've grown. It's now an international biennial female athlete conference. The last one had people from over 32 countries, and it's something we really look forward to every year. We've made huge connections, and we're doing more research together because of these connections. But there's so much more to do. We know that. Female athletes lag behind in terms of their participation in sport compared to boys, and this dropout rate really widens as girls go through adolescence. So we need to be doing more because we know that sports 
actually doesn't only help with physical health and mental health, but it also helps propel girls into successful careers. 80% of female Fortune 500 executives were athletes. 94% of the women in C-suites did sports. But between 2014 and 2020, when you look at the top sports exercise science journals, only 6% of the publish- publications, 6% of the articles, focus solely on women. We've got to do better. We can't just apply studies and data from male rats and male humans to girls and women. We're different. So we kept plugging away, and then 2020 hit. And the world as we know it came to a screeching halt. We were taking care of our family, our friends, our patients. We lost loved ones. We became depressed and stressed, and our athletes did too. School was canceled, sports were canceled, the Olympics were postponed. And yet our female athlete clinic exploded because our girls were handling the stress by overexercising, underfueling, worrying about their body image, they were getting injuries, and they were getting severe eating disorders. But two great things happened. One, in a full-circle moment, the new and improved U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee contacted me and asked me if I would co-chair a newly formed Women's Health Task Force. What? Of course! They wanted me to determine the research needs and develop treatment protocols for their athletes. This was a new era. Not only was I getting access to the database, but they wanted transparency and they wanted to work together to help solve the issues. And the other cool thing that happened was that I was contacted by the advisor to a philanthropist. Now, this is new territory for me. I don't usually get these kind of cold calls. But they wanted me to work with five other individuals, leaders from other institutions, to help design and launch the WUSI Human Performance Alliance. They wanted us to work together to discover principles of peak performance, translate those to youth athlete development, athletic excellence, resiliency, and healthy, long lifespans. And they wanted me to lead the female athlete component of that. Okay, so that should be the end of my TED Talk. Woo! And the rest of the world is great. But all, this propelled us, this got us to keep moving. We were already doing all this international work, and this gave us more energy and sped up the whole process. We were already working on sex and menstrual cycle effects on performance. There's so much more we need to learn there. We are working on relative energy deficiency in sport. We continue our work with learning about pregnancy and postpartum, psychological resilience, injury prevention and recovery, the intersections of race, gender, sexual orientation, class and ability, as well as the effects of menopause. I just told you I'm pushing 50. My teammates and I, we want to know what's coming. <laughs> But this is where you all come in. Our sports systems, our medical systems, our cultures are not built for girls and women. We don't have a one-stop shop, a physical facility to get all this work done. And people are looking to us, the female athlete program, to build this center. We really are the ones who are supposed to be taking this deep dive, but we need to be working together, and we need to have it all under one roof. 
like the vision we talked about, having the athletes come to us and have all this stuff available in one place, and have sports scientists working together with them. We want to do this so that we can be a model. We're further along than anywhere else in the world, but they're looking to us so that we can be the model to help them build it elsewhere, and we can collaborate it and or collaborate and help let it grow. We've been trying to launch this vision, but we cannot just rely on Clara Wu and Joseph Tsai's generosity. We need to demand more from others, and so we need you to demand more from others. We need people to really invest. I'm talking about the sports companies, the medical institutions, and other foundations. We don't just want lip, lip service. There are athletes who are afraid to tell their sponsors that they want to get pregnant because they're afraid they'll get dropped. There are athletes who don't want to speak up when they're injured because they're afraid they'll lose their sponsorship. It's not good enough to just hang a shingle, make a pretty sports bra, or make a new sneaker. We need more than that. We need true investment. We need investment in our girls to let them know that they matter, particularly in this political climate. They need to hear it loud and clear. Now, I love the men in my family. I have a father. I have a brother. I have a husband and a son, but this world was built for them. I owe it to my grandmothers and my mother, and my teammates, and my daughters, and those women 50 years ago who fought so hard for Title IX to keep fighting and keep the mission going. So my challenge to you is that I hope that you'll join me and challenge the way things are. To encourage the investment of women, and please do not be afraid of seeing girls realize their full potential. Thank you.